Hello, everyone. I am That Weems Guy here for yet another episode, and I am uh, amazed by a certain revelation today, and I want to thank you, the audience, for this. Uh, there is a website out there that tracks podcast ratings, and I've been watching it for a while, and we quickly moved into the top 10% of all podcasts that are out there. Uh, today, I logged in and checked, and we have jumped into the top 5% of all of the podcast in podcast land and for less than a year of being listening you're doing this i think that's pretty good growth um now when i say the top five percent please understand that there are 2.8 million podcasts out there so there's a lot of podcasts and that that five percent is still a lot ahead of us uh, but i'm kind of amazed that uh what started out as an accident has grown into what it's grown into uh we're gonna get off of our different format uh, tonight and we're going to have like a round robin of group questions where the panelists get to ask other members of the panel questions uh, before that we're going to uh, have introductions randy harris is making a return visit randy say hello and introduce yourself uh, hey how's it going guys i'm randy harris with harris combative strategies um i did the podcast with lee a couple of weeks back about backup guns we've got another uh segment of that coming up at some point in the future uh to hopefully pick up some stuff that we missed last time uh but glad to be back lee glad to have you back it's always fun when you get an email from the guest the next day saying you know what here are three things we should have talked about what we didn't <laughs> so, so <No. laughs> that's fine we just we, we moved those to episode two that's all yeah. we did we didn't miss them they're just coming up the next right. episode uh michael green Hi, I'm Michael Green. I'm the uh, founder of Green Ops. I've uh, got uh, quite a few uh, instructors on our roles right now. Uh, we have a Virginia crew and a Texas crew. And, um, you know, uh, we do all kinds of training, I guess, uh, related to firearms and some other stuff. But, um, but yeah. I met Michael at a Rangemaster instructor class in Virginia several years ago. And it was the first time I'd ever helped uh, Tom Givens with an instructor class. And back then you had to bring a revolver and, and do some revolver <laughs> demos. And Michael's lovely wife was in the class and she asked me to show her something again with the revolver during a break. And so I'm standing there working with her doing that. And I did not realize that Michael was standing behind us looking over my shoulder and somebody took a picture of it and they sent it to me later. And it's like, so that's what, you know, the baby giraffe in the jungle feel, feels like when they don't realize the lion sneaking up on. <laughs> <laughs> that was All a good right. class. That was a great class, by the way. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Guy. Oh, Guy Schnitzler. I am the owner of DFW Defensive Tactics. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, DFW Defensive Training. Um, I started as a hosting company, bringing in instructors several years ago. I've been hosting Cecil Birch since 2011, hosted uh, Craig Douglas, uh, hosted Lee, uh, what was that, two years ago? No, yeah, two years there, COVID. Um, several other instructors. More recently, I've been um, teaching under my own, un teaching under DFW Defense Training as my own brand. Um, if people care to know, I am what is uh, what I call the aviation security specialist. You know, the acronym sits me fine. Um, you can go Google if you want to. Um, winding down that career here now in the next year. So looking forward to doing more training and more teaching. And a uh, big combatives guy, uh, lots of hours with the Civil Works crew. And I plan to uh, open up my own uh, BJJ and 
Combatives Academy here. Now, we gave you two good nicknames from which to choose, and you didn't use either one of them. Which one, Air Buccaneer? Air Buccaneer or Sky Pirate? We told Sky you Pirate. you could use either one of those. <laughs> yeah, I like the Air Buccaneer. And you know what that came from, did you not? Did, have you, did I tell you that story about? No, share it with the audience. Oh, uh, I was at a, a hits class with Wayne and Daryl. And, uh, you know, we're doing the introductions like this. And I go around and I'm, I just came back from an international mission the day before. And I'm tired and get to me. I guess I, I am a sleep deprived professional tourist who rehijacks aircrafts. And everybody just looks at me and Daryl shout, yeah, he's an air buccaneer. <laughs> that's where that one came from. So <laughs> that yeah, all guy, work. as Guy stated, he hosted me a couple of years ago. And the range we were using was literally the corner of a cow pasture <laughs> that had a, a, a electric fence strung around it just outside the, the boundaries of the range with the berm and target stands. <laughs> and I grew up on what had been my grandfather's dairy. I know my grandfather uh, was killed in the dairy barn shortly before my birth, uh, but my uncle uh, ran beef cattle on the farm. And then my great uncle lived across the road. He was still in the dairy business. And a great aunt up the road, they still had dairy uh, business going on there. So I was around cattle a lot growing up. And we had to actually park in the field and step over the fence to get to the range. And I walked back out to my truck to get something. And I'm walking amongst the cows uh, to come back to, to the range. And I noticed that one of them is staring at me intently. And then and I look at it and go, this is a problem because that's not a cow, that's a bull. <laughs> and it was probably a 1,500, 2,000 pound black Angus bull uh -huh. staring me down. And I know from growing up around them that as long as their head is down and they're grazing, they don't care. Right. If they raise their head up and they are looking at you, they, they are trying to decide whether or not you're a problem yes. and should they run away or should they attack. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know that this nine millimeter that I have on me is not going to stop that guy just to attack. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's like maintain that it was almost like when I saw the picture of Michael standing behind me as I'm talking to his wife. Very similar feelings. Very similar. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to toss out a question uh, to these guys, and I'm going to ask it first without the context. So we have a control group for the answer. And the question is, is how much should your results on drills play into test, play into your selection of your gear? So how much should your performance on drills play into your selection of your gear? And I'm going to go to Randy first. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I'm going to keep following the clock. Okay. So it depends on how realistic the drills are. Okay. So if we are running a drill that is, um, I'm trying to think of something in particular. Um, I don't know. Let's say you're, okay, here we go. You're, you're set up for Gabe White's class might not be, um, your ideal setup for everyday life, depending on what you do in everyday life um, and what your wardrobe is. Hopefully that makes sense. So it's, you know, is it like we talked about in the backup gun issue? Um, 
backup guns are great from the standpoint of you can hide that under stuff that you can't hide your Glock 34 under necessarily, depending on how big you are. Um, again, I dress like Fred Flintstone and I'm six feet tall and north of 250 pounds. I can hide just about anything, but smaller guys can't. So if they're buying their gear, uh, designing that around what they're doing at some particular person's class to get some particular person's coin or whatever gizmo, um, that may or may not be ideal. Uh, as we discussed in that episode, you know, there's an 18% difference between your performance with a full-size handgun and the subcompact handgun or yeah, based on actually, the IDPA numbers. Right. And, and actually, I'd kind of like to go back and take just a second to, sure. to talk about that. Um, there are going to be people who are going to say, well, I'm you know closer to, the, to my big gun performance with a little gun. Okay, great. If you run a Glock 34, Glock 17, Glock 19 all the time, and then you switch to a Glock 26, yeah, you're probably not seeing an 18 to 20% drop off um, because a Glock 26 is basically a 19 with the bottom of it sawed off a little bit. Okay. But if you go from say 1911, you know, or a you know, staccato or whatever to a car 380, yeah, you're going to see a pretty big drop off there uh, in what you're able to do. Um, again, just mentioning Gabe White, look at the guns that people are using in his class and, you know, making uh, turbo pin runs. Um, nobody's doing that with a car 380. So that's, that's my challenge to everybody. Show up at Gabe White's class and do it with a car 380. So I don't know that anybody's that's, done that's it with a good car 26. That's true, too. So. I'm not saying nobody could. I just don't know. Are, 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 you, are you challenging me? I'm just kidding. Yes. Yes, yes. I am. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've done all of my uh, light pin runs with a, with a Glock 19. Okay. So I don't know what, what the, the difference would be trying to run a 26. I don't have one anymore. Uh, I know okay. we, we discussed in that last episode what my mathematical difference was on a different test between the 19 and the 48. But yeah, uh, I think you said it was like 16%. 16%. Now, granted, yep. that was right out of the box with the 48. Not the same holster as I was running with, with, with the, well, actually it was the same type of holster, but, uh, you know, there were some other things. I think I could close that gap a little now with the 48 with a little time under it, but right. there are some issues that would keep me from ever getting, I think, the single digit difference with it. All right. Uh, Michael. Yeah, I think really it, uh, it all depends, you know, on a, a, I guess a plethora of things, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I basically have three setups for, for holster carry. Um, you know, mainly I have like, uh, you know, everyday carrier concealed carry. And then, uh, when I'm, uh, you know, working to train folks to go overseas, usually that's an outside the waistband, like a safari land or something like that. And then if I'm shooting a USPSA match, then I'll, I'll shoot a USPSA rig. Um, I like the idea, like Gabe, you know, shooting um, USPSA matches with, uh, you know, concealed carry, concealed carry gear. Um, I think with the new rule changes, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, but um, as far as the reloads go, that's that's where the money is at. Is uh, you know having that rig set up for that. But that that really, when you're doing that many reloads, then the the, the match is designed for that. And I guess the stage or the the drill that you're trying to do would be similar. Um, but I would advocate that people try to uh, shoot drills as close as they can to their carry method. 
um, regardless of if they're they're used to carrying uh, concealed, then then I think they should probably do that. You know, I I plan one day to maybe, and I've shot a few USPSA matches uh, from appendix and concealed carry gear in the past, and uh, I like that. Um, but I think all the drills that I've shot when I shot Gabe White standards, I shot those from concealment from appendix. Um, you know, I shot Rogers. No, Rogers, I shot from an open rig, uh, but it was just a regular Kydex. Uh, but, but generally, I try to do it in my concealed carry gear, you know. Um, I think it's um, – but, again, it depends, you know. If, if I – I've never really sat down and said – don't. I don't think I'm going to be able to have a huge difference in shooting from a, an open rig, you know, because I've worked my concealed carry drill uh, rig. Um dry fired it so much that it works that I don't really see a whole lot of difference. So, uh, but I would advocate that people would try their best to shoot the drill from the, uh, from their normal carry. That would be my suggestion, you know, or recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with, um, if you're shooting drills and standards or whatever with your, uh, say a staccato and out, on a hip holster, and that's not the way you carry on every day your feet and your ego, which there's nothing wrong with. We all need our ego fed from time to time and need to feel good. But if you carry um, your Glock 48 or 43X and you don't go there shoot those same drills and standards, you'll probably shorten yourself. So um, for me, for the last 20 years, we had SIG 229s and everything I've been doing has been from concealment and appendix since I've been carrying an appendix since 2004. Um, rarely do anything from the hip if I have to. It's all from appendix, all from concealment. Uh, we went to Glock 19s last year, so that's what I'm running uh, for a duty weapon. And my off-duty weapon right now is um, well, technically or on agency, uh, agency letter is an HK P2000SK in limb. Um, but also I've been carrying on my LTC a P365 XL. I plan to take um, uh, John Blake, Jedi's class, instructor class in Oklahoma City this July. I'm going to probably run the uh, 365 XL just because that's what I'm carrying more off-duty. And for me, uh, since I'm not flying and assigned to training, that's probably what I carry. Well, that's generally what I carry all the time now. All right. Yeah, you know, there are two things that prompted this question that that I just asked you. And one was, I think, the proliferation of seeing people going to, say, Glock 19s and Glock 45s with compensators on them because they get better build drill times. You know, just pulling the build drill out as an example. And they're making decisions, I think, on I'm setting my gun up this way because on these class drills, I get a slightly better performance edge and score with, with this equipment set up this way. But does that really translate over into the best setup for the usage? But I'm going to tell you what my own personal epiphany was. And I had it uh, two weeks ago. I was uh, going to teach a class in Virginia, uh, three one-day classes, one of which was a shotgun class. And I've been teaching shotgun for, for, for quite a while now, and I have an established set of drills, and I know what my performance level is on each of these drills. And my best times come with the Remington 870P with rifle sights on it that have been replaced with the Trigicon sights, the, the light pistol sights. And that's my preferred setup 
I feel more comfortable with it. And one of the reasons I love running that gun and I've been reluctant to give it up and to go to something like a Beretta 1301 is my performance on the drills in that class and other shotgun classes with the 870 are better than what I get with the 1301 or my 590 or 870 that have ghost train sights on them. And then it dawned on me. You're worried about your time on a drill that has four shotgun rounds plus a reload. And is that relevant to the context of a defensive shotgun that's contest or usage that's likely to be over in one to two rounds? So am I basing my decision on what I'm using on relevant data? You know, should, should I go out and take that 1301 that's got an aim point on it and concentrate on working on the first shot hit and then maybe a follow-up shot? And if I can get an improvement with that over what I'm doing on the 870, would that not be a valid, more valid choice for gear selection? And so I'll throw the, all that out there and come back around to you. Randy. I would say stop interjecting logic or people don't want to hear it. <laughs> so you, you are damaging the selling of stuff business. So people need to think they need to buy more stuff to keep the industry going. Uh, no, I mean, that's 100% correct. You know, how many, how many rounds do we normally see expended in uh, with shotgun usage? You know, it's the old joke about the cops roll up after you shoot the guy and they say, well, what'd you shoot him with? Say, well, with a pistol. They ask, which way did he run off? Say, yeah. you know, you roll up and say, what'd you shoot him with? Shotgun. Say, where's the body? All right. So it's normally one or two rounds of that. Uh, and again, we're talking about civilian world. We're not talking about, you know, in, in Afghanistan or in Iraq, but still, you know, reports back from there. Um, people talk about, you know, it, the, the Middle Eastern male doesn't do well with a load of buckshot in its sternum. So it's, you've got a gun that is going to require very few shots to make people stop what they're doing. Um, so why are we worried about what a six round, you know, firing on the same target is going to be, we can argue body armor maybe, but you know, let's say if he doesn't go down after the first two, then, you know, load up the pelvis and load up the face with the next round. So. And there's a particular drill, I call it the four plus one. And it's, it's four, it's actually five steel targets arrayed at, at equal distance. And you start loaded with four and you put one shot on each of the first four still targets and then you do an emergency reload and hit the five mm -hmm. or there's video of me from a range master the shotgun instructor class uh, the very first one where i won the shoot off with the 870 that i described previously doing it in 3.82 seconds and so amongst the gun community there's knowledge out there that i can do that drill mm -hmm. in that amount of time well when i'm Loading up to go to this class the other day, and I grabbed my Mossberg 590. I know from performance and past classes, the best I've ever been able to do on that same drill with the Mossberg is about 450. Because hmm. it's, it's got the ghost ring sights on it, and I don't acquire them as quickly as I do uh, those open rifle sights. And so I started, like, you know, I do better with this other gun over here. And it's like, okay. And that's when I started going down the logic trail here of trying to decide, am I making a valid decision? Because I'm basing that decisions off of that one drill. Michael? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that really has to 
deal with your goals, objectives, and, um, you know, what your usage of the firearm is for. So, um, you know, uh, if you're going to shoot that shotgun with those open rifle sights for defensive purposes, then it might be more advantageous to continue to do those drills with that. Um, as an example, I, um, you know, I, I shot, you know, I shoot iron sights, but I've transitioned over to red dot. Um, and when I shoot, um, USPSA, uh, I know my drills. I know the drills, the build drills that I do, and uh, I am still faster with my iron sights. So I'm shooting a red dot, but I mean, I'm still able to get a sub-second shot, uh, from concealment at, uh, seven yards with, uh, with irons or excuse me, with, uh, with a red dot. But when I look at my splits and overall times, I'm still just a little bit faster with the, uh, with the irons. Um, so I put away the irons and I've shot a uh, red dot consistently. Um, and then I switched, you know, just took the open or excuse me, the iron sights, the range to see how I, how I function. Now the byproduct is that I actually became faster with my irons because of training with a red dot. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've known that too, with like a compensator, if I train with a compensated gun, uh, that I know, you know, I'm going to be faster. And so is what I'm doing is I'm making myself numb to that speed. I'm becoming comfortable with an uncomfortable speed. And then when I transition back over to a regular gun, I may not be as fast as I am with that compensated gun, but I'm faster than I was before. So I really think that a lot of these, these this, uh, you know, your thought process is, is intriguing, but it really has to do with is it just the drills that you're working? Is it working for advancement in your normal skills? Is it working towards an advancement in the gun that you carry for defensive purposes? Um, because a lot of that really, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, crossover, you know, um, as an example. But, you, you, you know, uh, like, for example, you know, training with a pistol will make you typically better marksman with a rifle would not the other way around, you know, because of the differences there. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should not, not train with your rifle, of course. Right. Cause you can always out train your pistol skills that, you know, to that certain level. And I, I guess the same could be true, you know, with, uh, with whatever you're training with, you know, if you want to transition over to that 1301, then there's going to be some learning curves. Just like I'm having those same learning curves with the red dot. Uh, granted, I'm way faster than I was, you know, a year ago with the red dot, uh, but I'm still, I still haven't caught up to my iron sights yet, you know, um, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm in my fifties and, uh, you know, I've been training for 30 something years on a, on a, on iron sights, you know, um, but I guess, you know, at some point, you know, and, and that's the other thing is transitioning over to a, uh, a red dot, you know, there's definitely ego involved because I know I'm slower. I'm, I see it, you know, at the range and stuff like that. And then if you're competing, cause I'm a huge advocate of using competition to test your skills and abilities, not, not as training, but just, you know, somewhat of a test. I see some folks that are, that are beating me that I'm like, oh, I could have got that guy if I was shooting my irons, you know, but it's something I need to do to, to, to maintain um, situational awareness on my skill level, you know, as far as, as that, that the red dot goes. Um, but yeah. All right. Now I couched it in the terms of shotgun because that was the perfect, the personal logic trail that I followed. And so what I will go back and work is my 1301 has an aim point on top of it. And so it's going to be a bunch of tests to see, am I getting faster acquisition with that, with that aim point than I would be with the rifle sights. 
yeah. the open. But we can take the same argument or the same question and apply it to pistols and say red dots. Yeah. All right. Yes, I can get better scores on something like the FBI, the Range Master Bullseye course with my red dot mounted CZP10C. Right. But does that make it a better, make it a more valid duty or concealed carry gun? You know, when I look at the context of which I may have to use, use that duty or carry gun. And so, and I think I, I, from what I see online and some of the groups, you know, and, and people discussing things is, well, I switched over to the, to the red dot because I got better scores on this drill at B8 to 25. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if that that's valid. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to try to tell somebody, Hey, you're doing something wrong or incorrect. I just want to ask, you know, let's ask the question. Is that a valid reason for choosing that gear? is part of it you know um the the other thing though is that people have to realize is there a shortcoming like a lot of folks have difficulty at closer distances with the speed of the red dot if they know that then they need to train that you know um you know scott jedlinski does a uh, uh i think it's five yards or three yards i can't remember for one of his black belt standards and it's um it's pulling the gun out and i think it's three the body two to the head um and it's uh let me look it up real quick see if i can find it but it's some ridiculous time and uh, you know it's people are like oh that's that's unreal and uh you know you see people come into his class and they're doing it all the time they're 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 able to get the gun out and present it in the short amount of time that's required to make those hits and they're able to say that, hey, look, if you train in a short period of time, then you can overcome, you know, what many people perceive is uh, slower at closer distances. It's just getting used to it is the reality. So um, if you the trade off is that I'm just as fast, almost as just as fast up close with the red dot, but I can be way more accurate when I'm further back, then that might be a, a really good trade off, you know, but people have to realize their shortages or their shortcomings and they have to train those weaknesses and most people don't do that you know i mean almost everyone that goes to the range they train what they're good at you know one of the good things that i like about you know shooting a competition is i video a um, a competition and then my next training iteration is what i screwed up at the match because those, those are my weaknesses and i utilize those to increase performance or, or, or increase my standards um, but, um, you know, people have to realize that and they have to swallow some crow every now and then, or some, you know, their egos and go, Hey, what are my weaknesses? And then I need to work on those. So I become better, but yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's the biggest plus to everyone seeing is that the, the, the red dots way, way more accurate. So the, uh, that, that three and two drill is three yards, three shots to the center mass alpha and then two rounds to a three by five card. And a part-time uh, for black belt standards, two seconds. And I've done that multiple times. And I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I mean, that's pretty darn fast. And, you know, just a little bit of dry fire and going to the range and, and you can work that out. And then, you know, everybody's comfortable shooting, you know, 10, 15 yards with the, uh, the red dot. But if they take that a little bit of time and work that dry fire and then work the, that speed, they'll, they'll be able to pick it up rather quickly. All right, yeah.
Well, in your context with the shotgun and you're running these standards and you're comfortable with that shotgun, you know it. Why transition to a 1301 with a red dot? Um, you know you're good at it and you got to balance how much training time you have. Do you have the time to transition and make that time and get to where you're as comfortable with the, the shotgun, the 1301 HR with your 870? Uh, same with a pistol. If you're willing to dress and carry a pistol that's bigger than... Yeah, you know, I guess make the commitment to carry that Glock 45 or that Glock 17 or, you know, staccato with the red dot and you work to uh, dress around it, be comfortable with being uncomfortable with it. Yeah, go for it. But if you go out there and you run all these standards and drills with that bigger gun and then jump over to that Glock 43X, you're probably doing yourself a bit of a disservice. And you really need to probably think about what you're, you're training for, if there's training or if, or if it's just gun games for you. But, you know, I can see where pushing the standards with one thing and working those standards and then transition to something else and catch up with them and even surpassing them is a good place to be. All right. Randy, you're up first with your group question. That's a good question. I've got several different ones, but we'll just pick one here and throw it out there. How do you convince people um, to train what they really need, not to train what they think they want? So, <laughs> That's the John Murphy business let's, model. Let's, let's hear it, guys. <laughs> in, in case you guys are wondering what the weird faces I've been making are, my wife's laughing at me because I was trying to <laughs> sign language with her and she had no idea what i was trying to say so that's if you've seen odd looks on my face i'm like what what so anyways all right michael yeah i think that's a tough one you know um you know we we run um you know we run a lot of our classes we focus heavily on you know marksmanship skills at speed uh which is interesting enough because we'll see you know some folks out there who are uh, wanting to do like break contact drills and stuff like that. And they want to run around like a Navy SEAL. And, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, I had a buddy and he, he had terrible marksmanship skills and, uh, uh, I recommended to him that he go to Larry Vickers. And so he went to a Larry Vickers class and he absolutely hated it. Um, and it's crazy because his, his shot group went like this at the end of the class went like this. So he improved his marksmanship skills, which was really what he needed. And he, he's like, well, we didn't do any movement or anything like that. I'm like, Larry gave you what you needed, not what you wanted, you know? And I go to, if you want to run around like a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret, let me explain something to you. I went to a two month course and day one of that course, we spent half a day with um, just our pistols, no Kevlar, no no equipment or anything like that, uh, just dry firing. And then after lunch, we came back and we put all our kit on and then we dry fired for the rest of the day, you know? Um, and then for the next two weeks, we basically sat and shot from a static position, right? Uh, working, you know, press outs and thousands of rounds, just, just going over the basics. And we had to do, and then we had to take a test at the end of those two weeks before we could really start doing CQB and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, if people really want to train like a Navy SEAL or Green Beret, then if they're really serious about it, then they need to focus on the fundamentals first 
before they start doing this other crazy stuff. Because in the special operations community, we use it as a way to mitigate risk. If everybody's safe with this and their, you know, their safeties and stuff like that, then we can advance the other stuff. And we see a lot and a ton and ton of folks out there who are, um, you know, just going straight from here's a gun. Okay. All right. You know where the trigger is now, you know, where the sights are. Okay. Now we're going to do some shooting and moving. We're going to do some, uh, some con control. We're going to do some cover break contact movements and stuff like that. And then when people get hurt, they wonder why, you know? Uh, but I think it's absolutely imperative that people work on those basics and the, what they need is to work more of the fundamentals and the basics, but then they need to stair step, you know, they need to go forward. Um, it, it's difficult, you know, um, there's, there's different, um, training mentalities, you know, as far as like, Hey, let's focus on the basics first and then we'll work speed later. Whereas like, um, you know, Bill, uh, the, you know, Rogers shooting school, you know, he starts you off going fast, you know, you're just, you know, here, this, here's a target. It's up and gone, you know? Um, and he has a reverse philosophy as far as that goes. He believes in working the speed and accuracy will come. Um, but, as certain, regardless of what format you're using somewhere, there has to be uh, a bisection of those skills before you can move on to, uh, you know, movement and uh, rolling around in the mud and all this crazy stuff that people like to do, which, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place for it, you know, but we can see, you know, based off of um, all these videos that we see out there today that very seldom are those skill sets even, you know, necessary. You know, the fundamentals are more necessary, getting the gun out in a presentation mode in a, in a timely manner, you know, um, you know, the, the stuff that a USPSA competitor will work on is, you know, splits and, uh, and transitions, but in average gunfight, your draw is more important, you know, so uh, we need to look at what, what are we training for, you know, are we training for a competition or are we training for, or excuse me, a, a USPSA match or the most important competition, the competition of your life, you know. A defensive situation so you know i like to put a balance there and make sure that i have an extremely well presented draw i like to try to get as fast as i can on that draw uh, because i believe that is probably the most important thing in a gunfight that you're going to do with a pistol is getting that draw out um, if you have the time right you know if you can co covertly get it out even better you know um but accuracy is going to be you know second to none on that too so you have to be able to do it in a timely manner and be very accurate and uh so I think that how do we get people to focus on that? I don't know. Um, we just tell them, hey, you're going to you're going to do it this way. And if they don't like it, they don't come back. <laughs> OK, yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, uh, um, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but also going with policy training group with uh, Steve Moss and Alan B. And we've been doing some church security classes and it's it's kind of scary some days we come out there and there's some of these guys and gals and i'm like by the end of the day i'm like yeah i'm not going to that church because <laughs> it's scary because they don't have the gun handling skills and then you try to coach them and they're like well you know get the always done it this way i find it interesting with shooting versus say the combat sports like brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestling you go you have a coach whether you do group classes private lessons and the coach looks at you and says, this is what you need. This is what you're going to work on. Now, it takes someone has to be willing to um, listen to that person 
And a lot of times in the gun world, they don't want to. They're like, well, I've been shooting all my life, or this is how I've always done it, or this is how my last coach taught me. Well, that's great, but you're here. You need to try that. Uh, a lot of times you need to, we've got to assuage egos, got to get there and, and, and massage them and, you know, coach, hey, this is great, but try this kind of thing. Um, it's hard. Um, I don't know if we could get everybody maybe into the, uh, the combative combat sports mindset of training and going and listening to their coach and, and be willing to uh, trust what the coach is telling them. Um, that's a hard one to do. We get a lot of time with the guys at work, but well, we want to do this. It's like, well, yeah, well, we're not doing that but we have the luxury to tell them that when we're going to do this. Um, so yeah, it takes a lot of work and I think a lot of massaging egos. Um, what I've found though, is that 99% of the time women are eager or easier to uh, get them to do what you ask them. And they're willing to admit, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have an ego here. And with men, it's kind of another way. Well, you know, I'm a born man. I know how to fight. I know how to shoot and how to drive and, you know, a few other things. And it's like, yeah, we're not that good. You know, sometimes if you can get them to swallow their ego, that's what we need to do, but it's, it's really hard. People get ego invested in something and, and we're stuck with it. Yeah. I think that question goes to the whole crux of how do you run a successful training business to a certain degree with success being well-trained students, not success being bank account. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because we could all be running out there with entertainment classes and selling them much more readily than we do the classes that we actually think we should be teaching. Um, you know, John Farnham has that saying is that people get out of the car and they walk up and say, when do we jump out of the burning helicopter? Because that's the class that they want. And I look at, I mentioned jokingly John Murphy earlier, John's class with FPF training uh, concealed carry advanced skills and tactics is two days of absolutely everything that you need in life for self-defense purposes and he has a hard time filling up that class mm -hmm. because it does not have the fun value readily available or apparent out there in the instagram market and the youtube market that some of the other classes go because really and truly you don't get to show up and show how good you are and there's a lot of draw in that. There's Gabe White's class. You know, being able to walk away from that with a turbo pin is a pretty big inducement for wanting to take that class because it gives you an instant credibility in the training community. And so Gabe built in, you know, basically he built in a self-fulfilling uh, repetitive customer base because I hosted Gabe for one of his very first open enrollment classes and immediately like we he handed out certificates on the end of day two and people were like when are you bringing him back because i got i got dark pin this time but i was close <laughs> to light pin and that's not a knock on gabe i was like i'm sitting there thinking man that was brilliant that was absolutely brilliant um you know for my own trying to crack that code is i divide my classes into what i call technical classes and application classes and a technical class is like my shooting, uh, excuse me, my trigger management class. And that class, because of the way it gets built and described, it actually sells very well. And then, you know, I couch my other classes as application classes. And that's where I get the people that want to come and learn more of the how to use the gun versus the how to shoot the gun. And 
those don't sell as well. But yeah. all right. do you? So do I'm you glad you, you used the term entertainment, so yeah. I didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> in fact, back in uh, 2007, when I went to uh, uh, in the National Tactical Invitational with uh, Tom Givens and John Hearn and John Justice, if you're listening, then there's a shout out to you, buddy. Um, anyways, uh, that they had a, a panel discussion, and that's the what they were talking about, you know, back then, that's been what, 14, 15 years now. And even back then, they're talking about how do we convince people that, you know, what they need uh, for, you know, the overwhelmingly likely situation that they're going to run into versus what they think they want to come to class and do. And, you know, to some degree, you know, it's, it's America, it's still somewhat free and you can spend your money on mostly what you want to spend it on. So if you want to spend it on a, essentially a, gun shooting vacation then rock on um but you know some of us that are looking more like you said we're looking at this as a successful class is um someone calls us or texts us later on and says hey you know your training saved my life you know that's that's a success is you know some more money in the bank account nice yeah it's nice but um having this discussion with craig douglas like 10 years ago um uh, to quote him on this, he says, we're on a holy mission uh, to make sure people come home alive. And, you know, I, I agree with that 100%. All right. Mr. Green, your turn to throw a question out. So I, I get a question that's uh, that, that, that students ask me quite a bit. Um, and um, I've even had other instructors ask me the same question, you know, like, hey, what, what class do I need to take to get better? You know, I hear it all the time. And when I was uh, when I was a young military guy, you know, I had the luxury of, uh, of having all these top trainers come to Fort Bragg and train us. And we'd always say, well, what's the next guy we want to train with? And then if we couldn't get them, some of us would get together and go train with them on our own because we thought that was going to make us better, you know? And then one guy said, hey, you know, instead of spending all that money on, uh, on training with these other guys, why don't we go to the range and practice what we learned from those other three guys we trained with mm -hmm. and we got significantly better once we started training together and uh you know bringing the pro timer out and we tell folks you know when they come to our class we talk about you know the five pillars of success that we preach and advocate at green ops and we tell them like hey you know we're not trying to turn away your business but if you follow these five pillars of success then this could theoretically be your last class that you ever need to take in regards to skill, you know? Um, and, and I think a lot of people, um, you know, and myself included in, in my younger days, uh, were more concerned about taking a class from certain people to get better. Um, you know, uh, I think there's always a good class out there. that's really like, for example, Gabe White's class. That's a good, that's a great tune-up. I don't care. You're shooting a thousand rounds in two days. You're going to get a good tune-up in that class regardless. So, uh, but in general, if I'm trying to work specific skills, Gabe may not be working those. I need to work those on my own. And so I tell some folks that are trying to get Mo better to say, hey, look, instead of looking and traveling and spending, you know, a couple thousand dollars on the ammo, you know, gas, hotel and course tuition, why don't you just take a couple of days and space it out, take off work early um, and spend half a day on the range for a week, you know, and, and, and sit there and look at those drills that you're trying to do to get better at, you know, 
um, you know, Pistol Forum has those, uh, you know, drill the, of the day. And if you look, you know, Gabe White used to press those out, you know, I think it was drill the month or drill the week, but he'd push them out there with a week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those were excellent drills, you know, and, and Pistol Forum and PistolTraining.com, they both have them up there. They're still there today, you know. Um, or you could just scour the internet for the different drills and start working those. But I think the reality of it, the, the question is, is like, Hey, how, how do you get better? You know, um, do you have, do you have classes that you want to take or do you have training that you need to take? I think there's a, there's a mix in between somewhere, a, a subtle answer, but I guess the question is, what do you do? How do you get, what class do you take to get better or what training do you do to get better? Do you train on your own or do you train with a, with an instructor? That's my question. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a little bit of both. You need to train with an instructor to find out where your weaknesses are. You now, again, back to the um, jujitsu, I go, I train with a coach. He comes up, you need to work on this. And that's what we'll work on with drill. So get you a coach and, or, or take a class, um, Find an instructor you want to take a class with every year or two and find out where your, your shortcomings are. So you got a good draw to first shot, but you're a little slow on your um, reloads. You got to go back and take a tune up with your coach or that class. And then you start working that dry practice. And then you start working at live practice or live fire and just keep working it and then just go back for a tune up. For like me, I've got a lot of time training with Craig Douglas over the last 16 years. And, um, and I use his classes as an audit where I need to go fill in. Well, I need more, I need more uh, wrestling time for the stand-up clinch work, you know, being able to work in and earn my draw while in that clinch in control of that person who's bigger, younger, stronger, faster, or, you know, I need more work on my default cover and I use that. And then I practice that and dry practice it on my own. And then I'll go out to the range and incorporate into live fire drills for those. You know, if that's what I'm planning to work on that day is uh, the ECQC shooting and stuff. Um, like I train a lot with the hit screw, Wayne and Wayne Dobbs, are bulky because they're here in Dallas, of course, and it's easy. And, you know, I'll go there and we'll take, uh, like we'll go pull out shotguns with Sarah. I'll go take a shotgun class with them and then I'll come back and I'll work and I'll dry practice it. And, you know, I think if we could encourage people to kind of look at it, taking training again, we're back to uh, Randy's question earlier or, you know, shoot offshoot of it training versus taking classes for fun. Believe me, going out and shooting and having fun and running around, you know, um, doing some scenario based type training with that, your, your AR, your shotgun or your pistol is fun. But for me, that's not what I'm looking for. I, I want to improve my skill and how do I do it? And for me, it's finding a smaller number of people to train with, taking classes with them, and then working the material year, two years later, go back to them, see what's changed, what I need to work on again, and start plugging that big back in, basically rinse and repeat and, um, and go that route. Randy? Uh, I would say it's the old, how do you get to Carnegie Hall answer? <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it kind of helps to have somebody teach you how to play the piano to begin with so that you know what to practice. Um, so, you know, that's, I look at it as somebody wants to know what's the, the class that I need to take. Well, what are you looking to accomplish? All right. So what is your, you know, real world 
situation. Uh, are you looking to get better at shooting a match? Okay, then that class is going to be drastically different than, you know, I'm simply worried about dealing with problems out in the street. Um, you know, we're not going to work a whole lot on split times in that class. We're going to work a lot more on, you know, verbalization, maintaining distance, managing unknown contacts, you know, stuff like that. Um, some shooting in the appropriate uh, envelope of time and space. Uh, not going to be doing a whole lot of 35 to 50 yard shooting in that class. We're going to be doing a whole lot of three to five yard shooting in that class. So it's just a matter of, you know, kind of determining what it is that they need. And then if you don't have a, um, let's say they need something just, you know, out of the ordinary, and that's not something that's in your repertoire, you know, pass them off to somebody else that's got that skill set. Uh, you know, I recommend people go train with other folks all the time say you know hey that's that's somebody that specializes in that and if you kind of look at you know I'll talk about i jokingly say you know people say what's your background i'm like batman you know i travel around with different subject matter experts and learn stuff from them um so you know if I may have a pretty good grasp of something, but if I know somebody that's that's a master at it, uh, and this person's really serious about getting as good as they want to get, and they're going to put the practice time into it, I'll just say, you know, go 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 talk to that guy. Especially if it's competitive shooting, I'm a decent competitive shooter, but you know, I, I'm not like I said. Um, oh, I just went blank. What's his name? Um, the guy who was beating everybody in IDPA by like over a minute at the world championship a few years ago. Um, Vogel. Oh, it's killing me. But yeah, Bob Vogel. I say Bob Vogel's not losing one second of sleep over me beating him in a match. Okay. I, I shoot pretty well, but he's not, he's not worried about me. Um, so if somebody's looking to, you know, be as good at a match shooter as they can be, and Bob Vogel's got a class that matches up with their, uh, you know, schedule, I say, go take that class. So, you know, again, it's kind of figure out, figure out what they actually need and figure out how to uh, fill those holes. Well, I'm going to paraphrase a John Hearn argument and gosh, he'll listen to this and know I said something positive about him. And that's, <laughs> going be, that's going to be hard for me to deal with. I may need counseling. You know, John argues that say somebody took an original orange gun sight 250 back in the 70s related from cooper and the original crew and they diligently practiced that over the years today they're still a valid person skill set wise that would be a very dangerous person to square off with if they had taken and diligently practiced that say twice a month they had gone and worked the things they learned in gunsight 250 now we can take an insert you know, range master combative pistol and the, the, the five level class that they used to do there at the mothership, we could insert a class from any of the, 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 the group of us on this panel that would be along those same lines. And that the students took that and they practiced it diligently, then that might be the only class they ever need. But the difference is, I think, having the experienced coaching eye that is watching for errors and, and making sure that techniques are correct and watching for things that you don't realize that you're doing when you're just working with yourself. Now, Guy's in an excellent position that he has a training group there with Wayne and Daryl and Steve Moses and those guys. And if you can go to the range with those guys for your practice sessions, all right, you've got your coaching built into that. But not all of us have that luxury. And to a certain extent, classes are the most cost-effective coaching that one can get. 
because you may not be able to afford to pay Bob Vogel for private lessons because he's not going to come to your house twice a month. Right. Unless you're making it financially worthwhile for him, but you might can go spend a weekend with him and pay for a class a couple of times a year. And that's where I think the value of training. And then you can, when you want to learn certain skill sets that that's when you go to those classes. But I will also say that the whole training community, what becomes a social club for a lot of us and to a lot Mm -hmm. of the students, it becomes, you know, you start looking at that hierarchy of needs and to a certain extent, it's like, you know, baseball card collecting. I've trained with this instructor, this instructor, this instructor, this instructor, because when we stand around and talk, you don't want to be the guy that's only trained with, you know, that has it trained with all of the big names everything. So I, I think there's some of that pressure built into it. Whereas, you know, if you go back to the episode we did with David Cagle back at the beginning of the podcast, where he's talking about build a baseline of proficiency in one system, but, and then start testing that system with the others instead of go to this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this, this guy, because then you get this whole jumble of thing and you're not really having something to practice and go with. Any follow-up on, on what you're asking, Michael, or do we all do it? Yeah, I think everyone pretty much came to a similar conclusion. I just think that is specifically in, you know, the, the specific, specifically the training arena, um, the folks that go to all those classes, many, many of them, probably 90% of them are spending too much time going to classes and not enough time training themselves. You know, uh, we see the same folks, you know, in these classes over and over again, you know, I go and train, uh, you know, with different folks that just went to, uh, you know, Florida, trained with Tom Givens and shotgun instructor course. And, you know, I saw people I saw up here in Texas down there, you know, so, um, but, uh, but in general, you know, I think that it's great that people are out there getting training, don't get me wrong. But I think that a good portion of those people would be way better off if they said, I'm going to take one less class a year than I normally do. And these are habitual trainers, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Then uh, I think they'd be much better off. Now, the average person that takes one course a year, you know, I think that's, you know, one or two courses a year. That's uh, that's slightly different than the other folks that we're talking about. But, uh, you know, we see we know who the uh, who the culprits are. Now, that one course a year he's talking about giving up, he's not talking about giving up one from anybody on this panel. Right. You still, <laughs> you still need to take all of our courses. Yeah, so, so that means a bare minimum of uh, four classes that they have to take every year. That's right. That's right. One a quarter. One a quarter. That's right. That's right. That's yeah. yeah, it's funny. I took my first open enrollment class in April of 2014, and then I saw a picture from an event in 2016, and I – either personally knew or knew by their face over half the people in the picture already because it was the same people showing up at the yep. same same things again and it's you know i've traveled across the country for a class and there will be people in it that i know from other classes and, and in that extent it's really good but uh yeah there's there's a very small percentage of the population out there that is actually actively engaged in in the art so to speak Mr. Guy, your turn to ask the question. Well, that segues right into my question. How do we grow that percentage of the population that trains? 
even um, even just locally, even with local, um, you know, IDPA um, shooters or USPA shooters, you know, people they can go to their local, you know, gun range and shoot with. How do we grow that? How do we make that percentage bigger? You know, getting them to that one class a year and then practice and then maybe, you know, every once or twice a year, not necessarily take a, a class, but take a follow up with a coach in their area. How do we big that, build build that? Uh, percentage so we have more of them more right. students uh yeah once you figure that out let me know um <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the question um mm -hmm. i have the, <clears throat> the my, my local training group that i run and we will i you know we probably run between six and 12 people at each one i mean we may have some where we have 15 people show up and we may have some where we have three or four show up and mm -hmm. just depending on what their schedules are like um we will occasionally get a new person to come out and you know we might get them to come back again and they may just decide that it's you know maybe it's a little too much for them or that, you know, that just, they just don't fit, I, you know, not everybody fits everywhere. Um, so the thing is though, more than more times than not, they do fit. It's just getting them in the door and, you know, because people come and they'll say, well, you know, this is not at all what I thought it would be like. And I was like, well, what exactly did you think it would be like? Well, I was, I was afraid that everybody would be so much better than I am. And, all this to say, look, you know, I run a one-room schoolhouse here. I'm going to have third graders working on their math, and I'm going to have juniors and seniors in high school working on their math. Just focus on your own math, you know, focus on your own homework here, and you're going to get better. You're going to improve. And I've got guys that have been, you know, coming to this thing for 10 years, and, you know, these dudes are, you know, shooting the air marshal, uh, the, you know, the old air marshal call, and they're passing mm -hmm. it every time they shoot it. Um, so, and then, you know, it, it, but how do you, how do you market that when a lot of the folks, if you're not shooting a thousand rounds in a day, they're not interested. Um, mm -hmm. if you are not somebody that you've, that has a gigantic YouTube presence, they're not interested. Right. Um, they don't, they don't understand that some people just aren't interested in being famous. They're mm -hmm. interested in doing good work. Right. So, exactly. you know how do we get those people to show up um somebody in class i taught recently said you need to give away swag that's what what the thing is you need a coin you need like t-shirts or something to give away to like the top two shooters you know something like that to to get them to if they come thinking that they might take some trinket home with them mm -hmm. then they might be more likely to show up and you know there may be some truth to that isn't that what Gabe yeah. White? I'm sorry. Isn't that what Gabe White does with the uh, the, the pins? You know, the, the dark. You know, basically. You know, like we said earlier, like Lisa, he's got built in because oh, I got this pin. I want that next one, and so they go practice and train. So maybe that is a point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Green. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, you know an interesting question that we've all been trying to, mm -hmm. to figure out. You know, I think. Uh, you know, for us, uh, I see where I'm at. I, I see that that fear is a great motivator. Um, you know, when, you know, when things started getting crazy a couple of summers ago where people were burning down cities and stuff like that, we had a huge influx of people who wanted to learn to train. Um, you know, we'll have folks who, 
uh, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together, but we've had people come to classes who are, you mm-hmm. know, totally different than our average student. And like, what, why are you here? I was robbed or I was victimized. Oh, well now, now you're, you went from anti-gun to being pro-gun. Um, but I'll tell you who I, I want to give a shout out to is uh, Tim Reedy does an excellent mm-hmm. job out here. In, yes, he in Texas. Uh, he, uh, you know, he uh, sponsors or runs uh, IDPA match and gets a lot of new shooters that way. Um, and you see a new shooter and, and, you know, I'm assuming most of those people are coming out to shoot the same reason that I'm coming out to shoot. And that's to be better at defensive skills. And then uh, those folks see their shortcomings in the match and then they get more interested in defensive training. And I think he does a, an excellent job. I see it all the time. I'm just amazed at the people and you see the skill level too. You know, I'll go out and shoot a match and there was someone that was there, you know, six months ago and they were brand new. And then six months later, they're completely new shooters. Um, you know, they've taken a couple classes from Tim. Um, and, uh, you know, Tim's also really good at filling up a range master class down there, you know, whenever he hosts those. So, um, yeah, I think that that's probably one of the best ways, like if you're looking at like uh, asymmetrical warfare or asymmetrical um you know, gathering or, or, or polling students is after the, the competition crowd, um, you know, the, the defensive crowd, the new shooter crowd, and they just, they just grow from there. I think that's an excellent idea. Um, And, and, and that's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at so much as building business as building more second amendment proponents. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, if we can get more people who start training more, you know, and, you know, spreading the word and showing people who are on the fence about shooting and guns in general and start pulling them and say, hey, it's safe, cool, come look and bring them in. That's, you know, all all people of all stripes and all is, you know, yeah, is the goal, is what I'm looking for. The more we can bring in, the better off and more secure our rights will be. So Yeah, yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. Uh, the other thing I think that is another great motivator um, once you get them in the door is the way, like, for example, Tom Givens, the way he presents, uh, you know, when he talks about the FBI Miami shootout, I remember, matter of fact, Lee, it was a class that, that uh, the first class that I met you at, where you were helping Tom out, my wife, at the end of the class, after the, after Tom explained how violent these two guys were, their backgrounds, and how they had done this to other people, not just rob banks. Uh, the most gratifying thing to me was she looked at me and said, I will never leave the house again without a firearm. And to me, I, I don't care how much that class was at Tom that we took uh, to me, it would have been, I would have paid 10 times as much just to get, get her to say that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and she became more serious about training because of that. Um, so, you know, God bless Tom for that class, you know? Um, and, uh, it just, it meant so much to us that, um, you're gonna have to hold on buddy. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, uh, uh, it meant so much to me that, that it put my wife in a different mentality altogether. Right. And, uh, you know, but that's, that's after we've already gotten them into training you know. but I think it's a combination of things, you know, one, I think Tim does a great job of getting them in the door. And then when you hear presentations like Tom's, uh, I think that's that's the other way to segue them into more training and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a tough question to answer, you know, uh, because everybody's different too, you know. 
yeah, I also I, think that like different areas are different. Because uh, yes. I I know Lee knows my uh, you guys know Ronnie Dodd um, mm -hmm. used to teach at Rogers. Um, he and I lived kind of in the same area, so we would see each other at matches and stuff. And we he would always joke about. It. He's like, you know what our problem is? Everybody around here grew quote grew up around guns. And I was like, well, I grew up around electricity. That doesn't mean you, that you want me working on <laughs> wiring in the house. So, yeah, you know, and that's point. one of the things that you know. How do you convince people that they really do need to take a class? Um, and you know, the the IDPA matches, for instance. You know, you've got guys that keep going to the match and don't ever get any better. You would think those would be the guys who'd be like, you know, maybe I should do something different and go to a class. Right. Um, so, you know, it's just if Tim's getting good results from from IDPA classes, God bless him. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, kind of in my area, you know, like I said, it seems like everybody's well, I grew up around guns. Yeah. So, you know, no, that's just the same out here in Texas. You know, yes. when uh, we've got, you know, uh, a crew that, that you know, I started teaching out in Virginia and uh, our classes out there, people, it seems like people in Northern Virginia kind of know that they don't know about guns. And so they seek out more training. Whereas when we moved to Texas, we're like, oh, there's ranges everywhere um, and there's guns everywhere. So this should be easy to start training folks out here. And, and it was mm -hmm. the contrary, you know, yeah. um, as an example, if you go to an indoor range in Northern Virginia, you're going to wait. 10 to 10 to 30 minutes for a lane to open up mm -hmm. here. There's indoor ranges. You can, there's no problem. You just get on a lane, you know, there's, there's no weight. Mm, right. um, same with the outdoor range because there's outdoor ranges here. You know, you have mm -hmm. to drive an over an hour when I lived in Northern Virginia to get to an outdoor range here, they're just, Hey, 20, 30 minutes away. Um, and same thing. There's not a waiting line or anything like that. You just get up there and shoot. And then, same thing with shooting competitions in Northern Virginia. I had to stop shooting competitions in Northern Virginia because if you didn't sign up the first 10 minutes at the rent, the match opened, you, it was sold out here. They're still doing walk-ups. You can sign up as you walk up, you know? Um, and that's because like you said, everybody has a gun. Anyone can go in their backyard if they've got enough uh, yardage out there and, and shoot. And I think they just don't know what they don't know, but we still do. We've got some really, uh, talented students out here too though you know they'll 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 come out and realize hey i want to get better and, and they'll just blow it away but yeah it's a tough one in, in in areas like this you know um it's tough to market you know when people say hey man what what are you going to teach me about guns well i, I can show you a lot if you can. <laughs> get yes you can <laughs> yeah um you know, you mentioned Tim Reedy, Tim and Rick Remington did an episode with me a couple of weeks ago, and that episode has gone over really, really well numbers wise, and because I think they hit on some really key things, and uh, I think it was Rick that coined the phrases that with new students, you need to be a gateway and not a gatekeeper, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, part of that was because someone showed up at a shooting class is that they didn't sign up to be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male that votes Republican and does everything else is that when we, if we're going to make this the big tent, we have to make the environment make the, the big classes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have to make the environment in the classes, a big tent environment. Everybody's um, welcome. Yes. Everybody's yeah. welcome. It's a human right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, self-defense is a human right. Even the United Nations recognizes in their in their declaration of right that self-defense is a human rights yeah 
and you know as mike was saying about the the ranges i think the biggest threat that we face as far as the second amendment in america as we know it is that more and more people grow up not anti-gun they grow up non-gun yeah and as each successive generation gets further and further and further away from it's a big deal then they're more accepting to it all being changed and going away and and of course you know thomas jefferson said that one generation should not govern another and that may eventually become the will of the people and of course we don't want to see that because that's you know this is us but you know to me it's personal i would not be here today if my grandfather had not used a gun in self-defense because my father wouldn't be here you know he used it to save my father it was a baby mm-hmm. uh I, I it's it's personal to me right and then i grew up with it you know it's part of my lifestyle and for other people that's just not the case but we need to make them feel welcome mm-hmm. when i say them i'm referring to the people who show up that are new they're seeking help uh, yep. they need to be welcome they not need to be they signed up for the lodge meeting and um and it's kind of kind of funny is that a lot of times those people come when times are bad yep and when it's hard to actually do this because right now gas is four dollars a gallon and i'm sure we're all seeing numbers starting to dwindle in classes as people have less disposable money uh same time You know, and it, and it hurts that when nine millimeter ammo was a hundred and uh, you know fifteen dollars for a thousand rounds, and ga- and gas was a dollar eighty nine, and hotel rooms were a hundred bucks a night on average. We didn't have a whole lot of people lining up. You know, I need help. I need help. I need help. But as soon as they get frightened by world events, it's amazing who comes out of the woodwork. That you know what. I need some help here, mm-hmm. and but it's harder for them to do that. Yeah. Um, we have actually we've been going about an hour and twenty minutes. So actually, for the three the three of you guys, it worked out just about right on the time. So we'll go around and uh, any final thought and pitch anything you got coming up, Randy. Um, I don't know. I will uh, <laughs> cede my time to Guy. Go ahead, and I'll come back later. Oh, wow, okay. We're, we're following the clock. We're following the Ooh. clock, so Michael's next. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, so I've got um, – I'm, I'm heading up to Virginia for my to teach my advanced covert carry class up there. Um, I think that's not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. And then I'm heading out to tactical response with uh, uh, Andy – to shoot the uh, surgical speed shooting um, conference that, the, that Annie Stanford's having out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy, are you going to that? I might make it. I originally had other plans and I got to check with that one this week and see, but those plans since got uh, canceled and okay. now it's like, ah, okay. So Alan was going to check on that, but I'll get up with him and see, but yeah, I'm going to try to make that. 
Yeah, uh, that's, a, you know, may, in the near future, that's the major things that we have coming up uh, for, for us. Uh, we have classes almost every weekend, either in Virginia or here. We run simultaneous classes in Texas and in Virginia. Uh, we're looking at hosting, uh, we're looking at hosting, uh, I think, a CQB course by Orion Training Group in July down at Dilly, uh, the mm-hmm. ranch down in Texas there, uh, Dilly, Texas. And then... Um, I think we're looking at hosting uh, uh, Matt How and Rob How from uh, Simtac for shooting uh, their their two day shotgun course in Texas and in uh, in uh, Virginia. So that'll that'll be a good time. Um, but I think that's October and December time frame for for one of those. Yeah, October I think in Virginia and December here. Uh, but uh, make yeah. sure it's not the same weekend as the Range Master Instructor Conference for the one in virginia uh you know what um i think that's like october isn't it or november the, the range master instructor conference is like october 21st and 22nd yeah. no it's not uh i have something going on i, I will be out of town that weekend but um uh, but yeah that's um it is not that weekend it is um i think the 8th and 9th i'm not sure but uh, either way, I made sure that it wasn't um, because I want to hit that. Uh, I wanted to try to make it to the to the Tom Givens uh, Range Master Instructor uh, reunion. But uh, it looks like as of now, my work has me out of town that weekend. Uh, so I'm, I'm, unless I can get out of that last minute, who knows? But I would definitely try to make that. Uh, but you know, all our stuff is on online. You know, at www.green dash opsops.com and uh, you know our training schedules for northern virginia and for texas are also on there and then same on social media uh you know we're on facebook um instagram and twitter all that all that good stuff you know <laughs> but yeah i got Oh, let's see. Well, for defensive defensive training, I am hosting Paul Sharp of uh, Straight Blast Gym, Illinois, for his multidisciplinary optimization course 2.0. What's that? Two weeks, the 4th and 5th of of June. Um, It's basically his take on the ECQC Shibwicks material. It's going to be a good time. Um, That's about it for now with that. And then I'm not sure about PTG training, what we've got coming up. It's coming up in the summertime. We tend to um, tend to back off because of the heat and misery in Texas. So uh, I'm not sure what we're coming up. Also, I do think we're hosting you. No, that's CCW Safe hosting you for your Red Dot class in October, up in October, I think. That's uh, not me. No, no, no I meant Michael. I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's October. Yeah, so we'll be hosting Michael for that. Um, and that's all I think at the time. But yeah, you can hit ptgtrainingllc.com for any of our classes there. Um, I'm more social media oriented also. DFW Defensive on uh, Instagram than just DFW Defensive Training on uh, Facebook or anything about going on or if you want to contact me. All right, Randy. All right. Um, you can check out my schedule, what there is of it uh, right now at harriscombative.com. Uh, I'm still working on getting my uh, calendar page built on the website. So, which is why I just happened to have my uh, laptop with me here in the hotel room 
Um, otherwise, uh, I would not have even been able to get on with you this evening. It was just kind of a happenstance that I even saw your email and then was able to get connected with you. Um, I'm if, assuming that I uh, survived my trip to Mexico this coming week uh, and make it back. Uh, we'll be doing a rifle class at the end of June uh, in the Chattanooga area. Uh, we'll also be doing a, a vehicle class sometime later on in the summer, probably in August. And we're working on getting a, a low light class scheduled. That's probably going to be probably July. Um, those are the kind of bigger things coming up. Um, obviously, if uh, I've got a mailing list that I send out. So if folks want to get on my website, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to put you on the mailing list. Um, and again, if somebody wants to out there wants to host a class, I'll be happy to travel. So. All right, folks, you can find my training schedule at firstpersonsafety.com. And I've got classes coming up in Terre Haute, Kalamazoo. Trying to think of them all in order. Terre Haute, Kalamazoo, uh, San Antonio. And um, I'll be San Antonio the first weekend in August. Mm. Uh, first Saturday in August. It's just a one-day class. Right. And um, Nashville. And then Miamisburg, which is the Dayton, Ohio area in October. And so that's what I've got scheduled coming up. I'll also be at the uh, Andy Stanford Speed Shooting Summit okay. uh, in June. I'll be there for that. So maybe I'll get a chance to see you guys there. Yeah, um, so y'all will be there. And I'm looking forward to that. Andy's a real cool guy. Andy did an episode uh, mm -hmm. several months back. So if you're just finding the show now, go back and find out Andy's episode. Um, one other thing, guys, we have a Facebook group now dedicated to the show. It's uh, just search for That Weems Guy on Facebook, and you can get in there. Um, and all guests are invited to uh, post all their classes and everything in, in the group, as well as we like to have feedback and discussion with the audience on the episodes and then anything else that you want to throw out there. So audience, join the group as well, and you get a chance to ask follow-up questions of the people that are on the show and see what classes are coming up. And we understand, uh, audience, that your most important asset is your time. And thank you for choosing to spend it with us. <laughs>